Not long ago, I spoke with an old high school friend who was dying of cancer. I hadn't seen him in many years, and we were catching up. He was telling me, oh, I worked this job for a while, and I did that job, and then I did this, and then I did this. And he added, that was a wasted decade. I don't know if you've had a full decade in your life that you feel like you squandered. Some people feel like they've wasted their whole life. How can you make sure when you get to your deathbed and someone asks you about your life, you'll be able to say, well, I certainly didn't waste it. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. So the purpose of ministry, getting each other ready for Judgment Day. The power of ministry, the Word of life. And so we got to help each other hold on to it. Now, one more. The passion of ministry. The passion. Look at how Paul describes his ministry in verse 16. Running and laboring. That shows passion, doesn't it? That's passion. Not walking and sitting around. Running and laboring. That's a sign of passion. This is, this, and this insight is going to give us some, I mean, this passage is going to give us an insight into how to get that kind of passion. Uh, it's going to be really helpful to us because going through life without passion is no fun, right? It's hard. It's, I mean, if you get that to where you, you just, you don't have any passion for the stuff you're doing, life just becomes this draining, boring monotony that, man, you can't even get out of bed in the morning because you're just not passionate about what you're doing. So, so we need this. So, so, where, so, how do we get it? Where does this passion come from? How did Paul get so fired up? Uh, what's driving him? Look in verse sixteen. You'll see what's driving him. It's this. He says, "I'm doing." He says, "I want you. I want this to happen. I want success. I want you to to, to reach all these goals." Of verse fifteen, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. So he has his eye on the day of Christ. For himself. See, I, I told you a minute ago that the, goal, the purpose of ministry is to get each other ready for Judgment Day. Another purpose of ministry is to get yourself ready for Judgment Day. Um, Paul is doing all this running and all this laboring so that when the day of Christ arrives, not only would they be ready, but he'd be able to boast. Um, now, boast. When you see the word boast in the Bible, don't think brag. That's not what the word means. It's, 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 a, it's a tough word. There's no English word that really translates this Greek word. It's just a unique word. Uh, it does not mean bragging. It's not primarily a verbal thing anyway. It's an attitude. Here's what the word means. Your boast is a good thing or a bad thing depending on what you boast in. Your boast is that thing which you consider to be the most valuable, most noteworthy, uppermost in importance in your heart. Whatever that is, that's your boast. Every single human being has a boast. Every one of us has something that's most important to us, more important than everything else. That's your boast. So it's whatever you, whatever you value, whatever you depend on, whatever you're banking on, whatever you value, whatever you would crawl over broken glass to get, you know, you would suffer adversity for it. Whatever thing that if you lost it, it would be the most devastating to you. That's your boast. That's your boast. And uh, so in Jeremiah 9.23, the classic passage about this word, it says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he knows and understands me, declares the Lord. 
So what he's saying there is if, if your confidence, that thing you're banking on, you're relying on, that you value, that you treasure, that you don't want to lose, if that's some earthly thing, like money or strength or whatever, that's, that's bad. If the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning is some earthly thing, that's bad. But if your confidence, your hope, the thing you're banking on, the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, if that's God, then that's, then that's good. Okay? So a boast is good or bad based on what it is in. So what was Paul's boast? What was his boast? That's right here in verse 16. Paul's boast. I mean, the great value in his heart, the driving motivation, the thing that got him running and laboring, getting ready, was arriving at Judgment Day and seeing the fruit of his ministry. Paul's boast was the success of the churches. The success. That's the thing that got him out of bed. That's the thing that moved him. Fruit. He wanted to get to Judgment Day and see fruit from his work. And so his greatest fear then was if that didn't happen. That terrified Paul. If he did all that work and turned it to be for nothing. In fact, he repeats that phrase, nothing, twice. Verse 16. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run for nothing or labor for nothing. He says it twice. That's the emphasis. I mean, if he gets to, if the Philippians ended up being like the weedy soil or the rocky soil, so he did all this work and then they, they, they don't finish the race. They get to the day of Christ and they're not blameless and pure. Paul's life was a total waste. Because, because, and I say total waste because he had nothing else going. He couldn't get to judgment day and find out, well, my ministry efforts were wasted, but at least, no, at least nothing. There is no other, at least, there's just like, that's it. All his eggs are in that basket. So getting the saints ready for judgment day is the whole ball game for Paul. If it doesn't happen, he's just like, might as well have not, not been born. God made us to, to want to have an impact, right? None of us like it when our work ends up being for nothing. Even if it's just a little bit of work, Right? You do just a little bit of work, and, you know, you spend 20 minutes vacuuming the floor, and then somebody tracks in a bunch of dirt right when you're done. It's like, oh, man, you know, I just did. And it's not like it's that hard to just revacuum a little bit, but there's just something about having your work that you just did go for nothing and be wasted. You wash your car, and then, and then it rains, and you're like, oh, I just washed the car. And, and it, it, that's upsetting. Little stuff upset. Even relatively small stuff, if it turns out to be nothing but, for nothing. But how would you like, to do that, how would you like to do something that required really hard work, uh, frequent imprisonments, severe floggings, exposure to death again and again, cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, five different times, uh, beaten with rods like baseball bats, three different times, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, night and day in the open sea, having to be constantly on the move, danger from rivers, bandits, Jews, Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger everywhere, danger from false brothers attacking you, laboring, toiling, often going without sleep. That's hard. Going, often going without food, being cold and naked, just freezing cold. You don't, have, you don't have a jacket, no sleeping bag. You can't sleep. You just no food. And then, and then, besides all that, the worst of all, just this huge pressure from an anxiety, daily pressure from massive responsibilities for all the churches. That's Paul. How'd you like to have all that? And it ends up being for nothing. All for nothing. Total waste. <laughs> what? How did Paul get such passion? He invested everything. 
into this work. He poured everything. It cost him ultimately everything, even his life. You pay that kind of price, you invest that heavily in something, you get pretty passionate about making sure it works out and that it's not a waste, right? So he really wanted the Philippians not to go the wrong direction. Now, at this point, I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute. Isn't God ultimately sovereign over outcomes of ministry? Don't we just do the best we can and then trust God with the rest? Not have all this anxiety? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Of course, God's sovereign. Do what you can, trust God with the rest. It's perfect philosophy. Exactly what you do. Do what you can, trust God with the rest. But if you fail to do what you can, don't try to expect God to step in and do the thing that he he required of you to do. That he assigned for you to do. Of course God is sovereign over outcomes. But I'll tell you, it is amazing to me how many things God will allow to go bad when I'm unfaithful. Amazes me. If I neglect my responsibility or I'm unfaithful, he'll let things go bad. If I'm, if I'm lazy and I don't work hard at a sermon, God will let it be a lousy sermon. Trust me, I've proved that multiple times. If I don't put forth the effort in a relationship, he'll let it go bad. If I don't put forth effort in my marriage, he'll let it go downhill. God, he just lets this stuff happen. God is not like a boss who says, well, this employee is not too trustworthy, so I'm, I'm only going to entrust him with really small stuff. That way, if he messes up, it's no big deal. God, it's just incredible the, the weight of important, important things that God entrusts to us. Really entrust to us so that if we, if we aren't faithful, it, it actually goes bad. Now, once we've done all we can, we really have done all we can, and the, the rest is outside of our ability to influence, we just can't do any more, then yeah, we just need to totally trust God with that. You take it from here, God. In fact, even the ministry we're doing right now, we need to totally trust God, right? To enable us, uh, to strengthen us, to do those things. So we're always trusting God at every point. But if you think trusting God means that you can slack off in your responsibilities, and he'll just fill in the gaps, you just go back to your Bible and just read how many times God lets things go one way or the other based on human faithfulness or unfaithfulness. This is the way God has chosen to deal with us. Put a lot of weight in our hands. And so Paul lived with this just a compelling, driving anxiety to avoid failure in ministry. To make sure it worked. That this actually happened. And you see that again and again. I'll give you a couple examples. First Thessalonians 3, 4. He says, when I could stand it no longer, I sent out to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have become useless. He's like, he worked in Thessalonica and then he goes somewhere else. He's like, okay, I, I, they're a great church. Uh, I have no reason to believe that they're going back. But I just I can't shake this feeling. What if, what if something's going wrong? What if, what if our efforts are wasted and useless? I better go send somebody. Go check them out. Tell me. Give me a report. Galatians 2.2. 2. 
I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. This is the thing that haunted Paul. He did not want that to happen. Galatians 4.11. He says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. That's exactly what he's saying in Philippians 2. He's saying, I, I, I want to get to Judgment Day and find out that I ran my race and did all this laboring in vain. And that fear that Paul had, that anxiety, we should have that too. Second uh, John 8 says, watch out that you don't lose what you worked for, but you may be rewarded fully. Look, you did all this work. Don't make sure it's not for nothing. See, what really matters in life is not your resume, but your epitaph. No matter where you are now, what your resume, what your qualifications, what matters is your epitaph, what, the, the assessment of your life. You get to your funeral. Suppose you're at your funeral's happening. Eulogy's been given. Uh, people have gotten up and they've talked about you and described your life and everybody there is standing, shaking their heads like, oh, too bad, wasted life. What if God is saying that? Ugh. Waste, what a wasted life. You don't want that, right? And Paul, it was, that thought was such a terrifying thought to Paul that there wasn't anything he wouldn't do to avoid that. I mean, it wasn't enough for Paul to just say, you know, put forth effort and say, well, I made a valiant effort, I did my best. That wasn't enough. He wanted success. He wanted results. He wanted an outcome. And so he labored and ran and labored and ran until it happened, until it worked. People not only got the word, but they, they held fast to it in the middle of the hurricane. And he wouldn't rest until that happened. Think about these metaphors for a second. Running and laboring. First, running. Just, just Scripture teaches us to think about the Christian life as a race. Right? We see that multiple times. Uh, Hebrews 12.1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So, so it's a race. Starting line is the day you become a believer. Finish line is the day that you go to heaven. Um, when Paul got to the end of his life, when he was an old man, he's in prison, he's about to die. Second Timothy 4.7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. <laughs> That's how Paul thought about death. He didn't dread death. He's like, ah, finish line. Finally. I mean, that was the whole, that's the whole point of the race, right? To get to the finish line. You say, what is the race? The race is your ministry. It's your ministry. Acts 20, 24, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I might finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. See, the race is the task. It's, the whole Christian life is the task. Don't think, well, I have a Christian life and, 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 and my calling is here and there. No, that, they're synonymous. The Christian life and their calling, your task, your ministry. They go together. In Paul's case, it was to preach the gospel. When he was preaching the gospel, he was running the race. That's what running was. Finishing the race meant doing that until the day he died. Now, of all the metaphors that you could use to describe ministry or to describe the Christian life, why a race? What, what, why that metaphor? What's the point of comparison? In what sense is, is ministry like, like running a race? Well, effort, right? Isn't that what a race is all about? I mean, think about what's the difference between a race and a run? Like if you could just go out for a run. So you're going to go running. What's the difference between that and being in a race? 
Well, to run, you just run whatever speed you want to run. Right? You just run whatever rate, and then when you're done running, you just stop. If you're in a race, it's different. You're trying to beat everyone else, and that requires you to push yourself as hard as you can. You don't stop until you cross that finish line. It's effort. And we know that's the point of comparison because of 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Only one. That was written back in the days before they gave ribbons for participation. Right? So you just get... In fact, it sounds to me like they don't even have prizes for second place or third place. No silver, no bronze, just gold. That's it. So everyone ran. One individual won. Everyone else lost. Right? Nobody was running for second place. Everyone in the race was pushing as hard as they could to win, to be first, to finish first. And Paul says, that's the kind of effort that's required for ministry. That kind of effort. Now, does that mean, wait a second, I, I have to beat everyone else? Does that mean only one person is going to be re- rewarded or only one Christian is going to make it to heaven? No, but that's the kind of effort you need to put forth as if that were the case. As if you had to beat everyone else out in order to get there. That's the kind of effort He's calling for here. Run like in a race. The other metaphor is laboring, working, in order that I might boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. That word labor, it's the same idea. It means to weary, literally means to weary oneself. Just to make yourself exhausted. So Paul, he's just like, just pick your metaphor. You can think of it as like running a race or like working hard labor, uh, whichever you want. Either way, you get the idea. It requires the utmost effort. And it's not just effort for the sake of effort, like going for a run. It's, 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 we don't, it's not like we have indifference about the outcome of the effort. We're just doing the effort. No. Another thing about this metaphor of a race is it's very intentional, right? It's very directional. You, gotta, you, gotta, you don't just run wherever. It, we're not just scampering around a field like a dog running on a field, you know, running after everything. You're fixed in a direction, on a goal. You want to get there. You're not done until you arrive. Same thing with laboring. You're laboring at some job. You're not just doing that for fun. You're not doing that for exercise. You're trying, you want that job done. The whole point is for it to be done. Again, if you have an understanding of the sovereign, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God that makes you indifferent or dispassionate about outcomes, you don't understand the doctrine. You've got to adjust your doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Because that is not a biblical doctrine. You look at Paul. I mean, that's not a difficult, that's not a biblical perspective on the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Doctrine of the sovereignty of God, of course, is a biblical doctrine. But it's a misunderstanding of it if you, if it makes you indifferent. Because you look at Paul, you look at Jesus. Were they indifferent about outcomes? No. They, they, they weren't like some government worker in a bureaucracy somewhere who just, he just doesn't care about outcomes at all, doesn't care about the work at all, all he just put in his hours and then clocking out. They weren't like that. They didn't say, I'll just put in my hours and leave the rest to God. They lived, Jesus did this, Paul did this. This is the examples we have in Scripture. They live like this attitude, I need to work hard or people will go to hell. I want them to go to heaven, so I'm going to work hard. And if there's no room in your theology for that, you need to adjust your theology to fit the Bible. There should be intensity behind our ministry because of outcomes. God gave you the gift of encouragement. You don't just say, well, I offered her encouragement. She didn't receive it, so that's her problem, and I'm done. 
If, if you think this is your calling, your task, you're going you're gonna to think, my task must be completed. And you're not going to be satisfied until she's encouraged. And you're going you're gonna to climb any obstacle. You're going to endure any adversity. You're going to put forth whatever effort you have to put forth. You will rack your brain to try to think of a different approach, a better approach. Satan will try to stall your efforts. You will not be deterred. You, 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 you'll, you, he'll make you think it's useless. You'll say, no way. You'll keep pressing forward until you finish that race. Now, obviously, there's, sometimes it's out of your control. You've done as much as you can. And you, need to, you need to back off. But, but this attitude, I think we back off too soon. We tend to back off too soon. We tend to give up too soon. Paul just like, I, I got to get this. I got to make this happen. The key with ministry is passion. Passion that drives you to run and to labor. Give some thought to what your role in the kingdom of God is. Why do you exist? What are you on earth to accomplish? Then look at how you're spending your time your money, energy, and creativity? Are there some things that take a lot of time and resources that aren't contributing much to your overall purpose? Maybe some things that could go by the wayside because there isn't enough spiritual eternal return on investment from them? Father, only you know for sure how profitable or worthwhile an action is or how much fruit it will bear. The spiritual world is invisible to me. All I can go on is what your word says. Would you please give me insight into your word so that I can have a clearer sense of which things I should put more time and energy into and which things aren't important enough in the spiritual realm to justify how much time I'm giving them? You've commanded that I not store up treasure on earth, which will eventually be lost anyway but that I do store up treasure in heaven. This world in its present form is passing away. Expose pockets of greed in my heart, Lord, so I can repent of them, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. My house, my retirement savings and investments, my vehicles, that stuff isn't my life. I could lose it all tomorrow and it wouldn't make any difference in the big picture of my life. Don't let my heart become weighed down with money or possessions or the anxieties of life so that the day of your visitation will come and spring on me unexpectedly like a trap. You have placed me in an incredibly wealthy culture. Don't let me become arrogant or put my hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put all my hope in you, who richly provides me with everything for my enjoyment. Help me to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does your will lives forever. Give me the grace to see eternal realities. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians. 
50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.